Hi, everybody. I have some exciting news. I am launching a Substack. I know. I keep telling you how I'm not a writer, and I'm still not a writer, but I am going to be writing about reading over on Substack. The Substack is called Unstacked, and you can find it at tracythomas.substack.com. There will be free options every Friday. There'll be a bunch of weekly roundups, announcements, all the shit I'm into. And then if you want to upgrade yourself to the paid subscription, I'm going to have author interviews, bonus episodes, anticipated reads, book pairings, community chats, all sorts of stuff. So, If that sounds like something you'd be into, go to tracythomas.substack.com and join Unstacked. And of course, I've got a special offer for you. If you go to tracythomas.substack.com slash the stacks 10, you get 10% off your first year membership of Unstacked. You have from now until April 4th to redeem. Again, that's tracythomas.substack.com slash the stacks 10 for 10% off Unstacked. Okay, that's enough. Let's listen to this episode. Welcome to The Stacks, a podcast about books and the people who read them. I'm your host, Tracy Thomas, and it is time for our annual Best Books of the Year episode. I am so excited. I have brought two friends who I know read a lot and read widely to help me compile this list. Lupita Aquino and Morgan Hoyt will be our guests today. They are both very active in promoting books on their Instagram pages, as well as being reading professionals. I am thrilled with the list we came up with this year. Remember, our December book club pick is A Little Devil in America, Notes and Praise of Black Performance by Hanif Abdurraqib. We will be discussing the book on Wednesday, December 29th with Andrew T. If you want more of the stacks, you can find bonus episodes, a Discord community, virtual book clubs, discount on merch, and more over on Patreon. Head to patreon.com slash the stacks to join the stacks pack. And shout out to our newest members of the stacks pack, Sarah, Holly Duffy, Meta Swanson, Kat Trinidad, John Spencer, Marion Muller, Sarah Brown, and Charlotte Stanton. This is an independent podcast, which means without the support of listeners like everyone I just named and the rest of the Stacks Pack, there would be no The Stacks Podcast. So thank you all so much for your generosity and your love of this podcast. All right, now it's time to reveal The Stacks Best Books of 2021. All right, everybody. I'm very excited. It is arguably my favorite episode of the year. We are doing the Stacks Best Books of 2021. I have brought in two superstar professional readers. One is friend of the pod who's already been here before, the lovely, intelligent, super reader, Lupita Aquino. And the other one is never been here before, still friend of the show, professional reader, marketer, book-loving person deeply associated with the city of New York. It is Morgan Hoyt. Morgan, Lupita, welcome. Yay. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. I am too. Thank you so much for having me back. I'm really excited to have you guys. I reached out to the two of you because you probably read more books than almost anyone else I know, especially this year. Um, so just to give people a sense of who each of you are, will you give like do like a little intro, like your relationship to books? Tell, give me a little thing. Morgan, we'll start with you. 
Yes. Um, so I'm Morgan. I am the bookworm behind the Instagram account NYC Book Girl, and I also work in publishing. I'm a senior marketing manager at Random House, an imprint of Penguin Random House, and obviously live in New York City um, <laughs> and read a lot of books set here too. Fantastic. And Lupita? Uh, yes, I am Lupita from the Lupita Reads. Uh, I started my Instagram like six something years ago. I'm not in publishing. I'm not a publishing professional. Uh, I just read books for fun. <laughs> and I've turned it into this little hobby that I obsessively do a lot of. <laughs> so, Okay. You're not a professional reader exactly. However, you did professionally read for an incredible book prize, which I need you to tell us a little bit about because it's insane. I did. I actually had the opportunity to read for the Aspen um, Prize in Literary Fiction this year. Um, and so it's awarded every year and they focus on um, highlighting basically books that illuminate contemporary social justice issues. And it's all fiction. So I read a ton of fiction this year to the point of I am a fiction lover, but to the point of which I was like, OK, and no more fiction. <laughs> Welcome. I've converted you. <laughs> I know. I was like, oh. I, I think I asked you right away. I was like, give me the must reads of this year of nonfiction because, you know, I was like, I, I need, I'm craving it so bad. How did I do? Did I suggest anything good? You did so good? well. Okay. And I think we're going to get into it because I, yeah, we're going to get into it. I know one of the books I recommended you read is on my list today, which will be a 0% shocker to 100% of the people. So we'll save it, but it's on here. Um, Morgan, I want to know about your reading life going from being a reading for hobby NYC book girl to reading for professional marketing purposes. Yeah. So I started NYC book girl while I was working in the theater industry. I was an assistant to a Broadway producer and reading felt a like a, an escape from that like world of entertainment. And I was just doing it all of the time. So I needed my own like creative outlet as well. And it was through NYC book girl that my first job in publishing um, came to me. Uh, and I worked for an imprint called Avid Reader Press, which is an imprint of Simon & Schuster, and they publish majority nonfiction. So my reading life transformed when I started working at Avid because I read fiction like I drank water and read little to no nonfiction outside of the world of memoirs. And so I really appreciated that about Avid. It pushed me to read books I never would have read before. Now, being at Random House, I work for an imprint called Ballantine, and we mostly publish fiction, very commercial fiction. So the switch has kind of flipped on that, where now my nonfiction reading is mostly for pleasure, and my work reading is back in that world of fiction. But once again, I love it, and Ballantine publishes across genre, so I read historical fiction, and I've recently really thrown myself into the world of rom-coms as we've been expanding our list in that space. So every year that I think I kind of understand who I am as a reader and what it is that I read, publishing throws another curveball in there. Um, I have to readjust. So I've read 10 rom-coms in the last 30 days, which is wow. crazy. I know. Lot. But I got curious and then I had to know everything. So here I am. <laughs> okay. I'm going to ask you both a question that everyone asks me. And I always roll my eyes, but I am curious what you guys think about it, which is now that you've been reading for work and mm. you still read for pleasure, has your relationship to reading changed? Do you still love it? Do you ever want to just like throw all your books away? And how do you keep reading when you're not in the mood for reading when you have to read for work? 
So this is the first year I'd say I'd actually read for work, you know, for the prize and um, just having to read. I'm also trying to shift now towards reading, you know, to help promote books and stuff so that I I would consider that work. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I think it has changed a lot in terms of the pressure that it places on reading. Whereas like reading before used to be something that I did to just kind of like ease and calm myself. And like the opposite is like this year I was like, oh, my God, I got to get through all of these books. I have to read all these books. So it became almost like in the opposite of that. You right. know, I was like anxious. Um, so it was it was tough. But how did you get through the anxiety? Like, how did you push through knowing that you had you still had to read it, even right. though you were like, I hate it here. Uh, <laughs> um, I think I just took a lot of breaks, to mm-hmm. be honest. Um, and then also like you like just falling in love with other books that I wasn't, you know, supposed to be reading. During that time, I would do a lot of audiobooks, especially mm. like non, yeah, some nonfiction, not a lot, because I, I would find myself not being able to focus. But um, throwing that in the mix helped a lot. Mm. So, And you didn't finish a lot of books. I DNF'd a lot of books, which is a first for me. Was it free? Have, was it great? It was actually very stressful. Because um, when you're reading for for a prize, I mean, you want to feel like, you know, you're giving a book its due diligence mm. and its justice. And But the thing is, a lot of books sometimes from the very beginning, like your gut tells you, you know, immediately like, okay, this book is working. I see where it's going. Like I'm rooting for it. But at the same time, it's just I know that it's not going to be this diamond that we're looking for. Um, and so that was really hard. Mm. Um it okay. became a little stressful to have to DNF, but I don't think I, I went back to not DNFing. I'm reading a book now that I have been reading for guys like weeks, oh, weeks, yeah. <laughs> and I have not DNFed it because I'm committed. And so I think I learned nothing. Yeah, I would have put that book down weeks ago. I know. I actually so need you to finish it. I know which one it is. I need you to finish it to tell me if I need to read it. I 110% agree with Tracy also knowing what it is. So. <laughs> I don't think we can tell you guys what it is, but we can say it's coming out in 2022. It's highly anticipated. It's by an author that has a book that everyone has cried to. And that's what we'll say. Morgan, what about you? How is working with books changed like the stress level of reading? Mm-hmm. I agree with Lupita. Audiobooks for me they're never work related and so they're always an escape um and i i really like listening to ya and to memoirs and to romance and to things that don't necessarily fit into that like more information heavy space um but i'm a virgo and i keep lists so whenever a manuscript comes in i add it to the list and i really enjoy checking it off and i try to divide them up based on how much time we have until publication. So if something comes in that's not coming out for 10 months, it doesn't need to be read right away. Whereas sometimes we get manuscripts that are coming out three to four months from the day that it arrives to our marketing side of things. Um, So different levels of priority are assigned based on pub date. And then I just try to let myself breathe from there. And I definitely have guilt when I'm not reading, when it's free time and downtime and I'm not reading. But I mean, this has been one of the more stressful weeks in New York City and I've gotten it through it by watching an entire episode of Survivor or sorry an entire season of Survivor I was gonna say an episode um, that's yeah. like an hour no, no, nice no. Try. I'm I'm averaging like <laughs> four to five episodes a day right God, now so um I think yeah just like letting go of that that I've got to always be reading because it makes for better content yeah vision mm-hmm. I have of myself 
Yeah. I'm having a weird moment where I read for work, as you both know. Yeah. And I, in between, I read for pleasure. And this year, I was really good about like scheduling my life so that I could have the la- like basically all of December to read whatever I wanted to read. And I yeah. have been in the worst reading slump of my life. I don't want to read anything, which is crazy because I think for me, when I have work reads, then I have a deadline. And so then I know. Mm-hmm okay, if I want to read this other book that's not for work, I have three days to do it. So I'm like, let's go. But now I'm like, I have five weeks to do whatever I want. And you know what? I've read three books, two of them on audio, and one of them was a poetry collection. So I'm nailing it. Oh, and one of them was for children. It was a children's book. (laughs) So basically, I don't know anything about myself and I hate it here. But enough about that. We're going to talk about the year in books, which was 2021, just in general. Overall, what did you all think of this year in books? Um, in terms of fiction, I was it was really such an eye-opening experience to kind of notice themes of writing and like what people were tackling. And maybe it was because I was reading for, you know, social justice issues mm-hmm. that I, I felt like I was able to pick up on a lot of themes. And that really surprised me because I feel like in the past I never could see any similarities or like, you know, same things that these books are kind of all trying to tackle. So that was really surprising for me. I feel like in my reading throughout the year, I I, f- I felt like a, f- a feeling of under underwhelm some of the time. But then going back and looking at my list, it was so easy for me to pick out my favorites because there were books that I just so adored. So I think it was the stuff in between that was causing that that feeling. But I also feel like I, in the latter half of the year, really delved back into reading as fun and as joy. And some of my favorite books of the year had such like humor and light to them. One of them I'll talk about today, but other ones that come to mind, I loved Seven Days in June so much. Me too, so much. Yeah, and the character of her daughter just like really brought back that feeling of like making a friend as you read. So I just – I feel like I really got back into it and definitely part of that is the books that I read for work when I transitioned into my new job in the second half of the year. But I'm happy looking back on the year and and knowing that that's what it brought me at the end because it was – one hell of a year otherwise. So Yeah. Agreed. First of all, Lupita, what were the themes you picked up on? I'm so, so curious. There was a lot of like books and books, like, or mm. r- books in writers, like people basically writing about books in mm-hmm. a book, which I was like, okay, wow, that's, that's a lot. <laughs> but it's like reading them back to back. Like I think hell of a book had that. There was a cuckoo land that was the same thing. There was a book in the book. There was, um, the Book of Emptiness. Um, Seven Days in June had books and books. Mm-hmm. See? And I was just like, what is uh, this? Donnie Walton had books and book. Wasn't she writing a book about ne- Opal and Nev? She was writing mm-hmm. a book about Opal and yeah. Nev. Yeah, she was an author. Yeah, so it was a lot of that. I thought that was really interesting. Um, and there was a couple more. I just can't, can't remember them right now. Okay, that's fair. I'll tell you guys what I thought about this year in books. Yeah. I didn't think it was a great year for books. I got to be honest. There was a lot of stuff this year that I felt was like fine. And when I was thinking about like, what were my favorite books of this year, like written in this year, I really, I could get to five. And then for my back half, like my top 10, my other five, I keep oscillating between like six or seven books that would never have made it in another year in my mind. Like, I just felt like there was a lot of like, okay books, but I wasn't taken. But also that could more so be me too, like where I am emotionally and with like the pandemic and everything, like maybe 
it's more just me as a reader. I'm just not like that into this year. I don't know. But I definitely there were some books that I think are great that will stand the test of time. But there are a lot of books that I think got a lot of praise that I don't know we'll be talking about next year or in five years or whatever. But that's just me being an asshole. Uh <laughs> I, I mean, I would agree with you, though. I think a lot of people have said that. Um, and I and I do even looking at my I think it took me a while to send you guys my top five. But even looking at that, like I was like, OK, some stuff kind of sings, but there wasn't a lot. It wasn't extremely hard. I think I did it in like five minutes and I was like, I'm not overthinking it. But these were the ones that stuck out to me. So I, I don't think you're wrong. Well, thank you. I like to be right. Um, okay, let's get into it. We're going to get into our best books of 2021. We each have three books. And coincidentally, there was one book that we all sort of had on our list. So we're going to include that as our 10th book. So we'll each do three. Um, Morgan, why don't you start? Pick whichever one you want to start with. Okay. This is not in any order. So just FYI, people don't think that we're doing a countdown. We're just doing 10 books loosely. Truly. Yeah. I'm just going in the order in which I wrote my notes about them. So we're starting with um, Crying in H Mart by Michelle Zahner, um, which is a memoir from Michelle Zahner as the lead singer of Japanese Breakfast, which was a band I wasn't familiar with when I started it. And then I went back and listened to some of their songs and I was like, oh, I've heard a bunch of this before. Ironically, she doesn't talk about music that much in this memoir. It's much more about food, uh, which I love books about food. Um, So we begin – It's really a true memoir. It begins in her childhood, growing up in Oregon. She's one of the few Asian-American children in her neighborhood. Um, And we kind of move with her along through her life. We travel to Seoul with her and her mother and visit her family there. She goes off to college and goes in and out of this relationship with Koreanness as part of her identity. And then when she's 25, her mom is diagnosed with terminal cancer. And that's where the like clutch part of the book really kicks into gear. Um, And so it then – delves into a story about grief and reclaiming her relationship with her mother and her heritage through food and language and travel. And I found that this book really allowed me to to go somewhere. Like you get to go to Korea and you get to go to Oregon with them and you get to go to her shitty apartment and you get to really immerse yourself in all of those those places and things. And I'm also a huge YouTube food video fan. And so is Michelle. And that's one of the ways that she digs back into this like knowledge about Korean food. And it's such a ode to how much information there is out there by creators who are just trying to share these parts of themselves. Um, And I just, I loved it so much. And it was one of the first books I read this year and it stayed with me the whole 12 months. Lupita, you read it. I loved it. Um, it did. It was not in my top three only because um, there were a, a few other memoirs that I, fe- I felt like I personally really connected to. So I I did not include that one in my list. I didn't like three. it, you guys. <laughs> I, I know you it. didn't I like it. it. <laughs> and I know you didn't. And I was actually very devastated to learn that because it 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 like re- like Morgan said, it really stuck with me um, as someone who lo- has seen and like lost someone to cancer. Just the way I think that she describes that experience. I, I just kind of felt so like. Like, this is so real, you know? Um, so interesting. Yeah. I love the I food saw, writing. I thought the food I, writing was exceptional. The, the cooking chapters are so the, good. The stuff in between. I don't know. It just didn't work for me. When but, I saw Lupita whatever. post about it, I was so overjoyed because I was like, finally, she's read it and I, she knows how good it is. Um, but yeah. Okay. 
Well, I'm glad that you picked it because you're it was on Obama's list. Like I'm definitely the outlier on this one. I was so excited. I was happy. I shared two books with Obama, but I put them on my list first because I did it before yesterday. (laughs) So I shared two books with Obama as well. And Mm -hmm. I also was talking about them way before Obama. So Mm -hmm. he can get a he can get his own personality and stop trying to take ours. Okay. Um, Okay. Lupita, what's your book? First book. So my first book I re- read for the prize, I would I don't think I would have read it otherwise because I didn't see it on Bookstagram a lot. Um, and it's The Arsonist City by Hala Aleyan. Um, it's a fiction novel. I know that she is the writer of another book that was, I think, semi-Bookstagram popular, The Salt Houses or The Houses of Salt. Salt Do either houses. of you know it? The yeah. Salt Houses. I haven't read it, but I've had that one for a while. And then I know that she sold another book to Avid Reader Press. So my old Uh, team is working on it and it's supposed to be incredible. Oh my God. I'm so excited. I (laughs) fell in love with this book. Um, It's uh, basically just like a family saga. And I felt like it just illuminates the way a family's history and like the possible fated destiny becomes like, can become broken and changed because of war. And so I just felt like seeing this family kind of exist and then you know have possibly have different lives but then those different lives be destroyed by something that's completely out of their control um and the way that that fractures families um and more of course separates and fractures families I just thought that was like amazing um but one thing I absolutely also loved was just like the messy siblings Mm. like I I have never read about like really good messy sibling like stories um I think ever or maybe I have but this one was just like I don't know there's they're just great so that one for me was like it still sticks with me. I still think about it. I rec- I'm trying to recommend it all the time to anybody. I got um, it because of I'm you. Here. <laughs> I haven't finished. I'm like 60 pages in. When I saw it on your list, I was like, oh, I really do need to read that one, don't I? Yeah. I don't know if I'm allowed to say, but I'm rooting. I'm rooting that it's been a surprise. So. I know you are. You've been talking. You've been telling me, like, read this book, read this book. Um, okay. My first book that I'm going to talk about today is How the Word is Passed by Clint Smith. It is so good. It's on Obama's list. Obama (laughs) and I are so smart. Um, It is. So basically, Clint Smith goes back into how we talk about history, uh, the history of slavery in America specifically. And he sort of takes you, the reader, to different physical sites connected to the history of slavery in America. So it's like slave trading in New York City, down on like Wall Street. He takes you to Thomas Jefferson's house, Monticello. Um, He takes you to the Confederate Blanton Cemetery in Virginia. And he talks to people there and he talks about the history and he sort of is doing like this reckoning of how we understand history and not necessarily what exactly is the history, but how it's kind of morphed and changed over time and how history is something that is living and breathing and that there's an understanding of history that is different than uh, the facts of history. And I think that that's a really interesting way to look at slavery and at American history, especially in this moment when there's so much contention over what is true and what is fact and what is relevant and what is feeling and like these different complicated things. Um, So the book is great. I highly recommend it. Clint was on the show and I just have to say this about that episode. He never referenced a note 
or a thing the entire conversation. And if you go back and listen to it, he talks about like 900,000 things and he references like all these books and these titles and the authors and like in 19, in 1862, da, da, da. And you're like, and I'm sitting there watching him on our little Zoom and I'm like, holy shit, is this guy like just off the top of his head? So he's fantastic. The book is fantastic. Did either of you read it? I did. Did you love it? I did. Um, and when I saw it on Obama's list, I was like, yes, yes. Yes. I think it was on Obama's summertime list too. Okay. Because, you know, he does like a middle of the year list and it made it it made it made from part one to part two. So I was like, good, good. Holds up. Morgan, you haven't read it yet. No, but I normally wait to listen to the Stacks episodes if I think I'm going to read the book. And that oh. was when I didn't wait to listen to because <laughs> I just wanted to hear him and you. Um, and I... I walked away from that episode thinking he's probably the smartest person I've ever heard be interviewed. Super duper is. Yeah. We're going to take a quick break, then we'll be right back. Taking care of your health isn't always easy, but it should be at least simple. That's why for the last three plus years, I have been drinking AG1 every day, no exceptions. It's just one scoop mixed in water once a day, every day, and it makes me feel nourished and strong enough to tackle whatever else might come my way. That's because each serving of AG1 delivers my daily dose of vitamins, minerals, pre and probiotics, and a lot more. It's a powerful, healthy habit that's also powerfully simple. The nutritional insurance that AG1 provides has been vital to keeping me productive and focused. It helps me cover my bases in just about the time it takes to fill a glass of water, scoop in one scoop of AG1, and then drink it. So I don't know, 75 seconds? With the perfect mix of vitamins, probiotics, and nutrients from Whole Foods, I'm not stuck trying to assemble it all by myself, which would have considerably worse results. AG1 saves me all the time and hassle, and it has made such a difference in my overall mood and especially my gut health, among many other things. But don't take my word for it. Go ahead and try AG1. Let me know what you think. Whether you notice you're needing more nutrient support than you're used to, or you just need an edge for a tough workout, AG1 can be the ticket. If there's one product I had to recommend to elevate your health, it's AG1, and that's why I've partnered with them for so long. If you want to take ownership of your health, start with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3, K2, and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com slash the stacks. That's drinkag1.com slash the stacks. Check it out. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Okay, we're back from our break. Book two, Morgan, go ahead. Okay, book two 
also shared with Obama is Intimacies by Katie mm. Kitamura, um, which is a really beautiful, stark novel. It's not one that's super wordy. It's not overly long. I read a lot of clunkers this year and I loved those too, but this one really stood out to me as being a nearly perfect work of fiction. Um, and I will say I did not love her last book, A Separation. So if you also didn't love that, don't let this hold you back. Mm. Um, but Intimacies is about a translator, a legal translator who moves from New York City. She's kind of escaping New York City to The Hague and she works in the international court. And it has this bizarre, small ensemble of characters. So she's also dating a man who is estranged from his wife who goes back to where his wife is separated, living in Portugal to separate from her, but doesn't come back for a very long period of time. And she has this kooky friend who's one of those friends where you're like, I don't think that friend has your best interest at heart. <laughs> um, and she's translating for this former president who's been accused of these heinous war crimes. So she has these like mysterious dark people around her, but it's so beautifully set in this city that I've never been to. And there's a scene where she goes and looks at a painting and the writing about the way she processes looking at the painting is some of the best descriptive writing I've ever read. And it's like one of those things where you were like, oh yes, that is why people are novelists and I am not. Like right. she <laughs> does so good in in just capturing that experience that I think people who love going to see art and museums have had but can't quite put into words mm. and then it also has loneliness as this like haunting blanket that kind of settles over the whole story of she's got these people in her life but none of them are particularly close to her and there's this barrier of language in a lot of the story and um I know Tracy you also really love to seek you and so I feel like loneliness has been a a theme in my reading this year and a theme in our, our lives this year as we've been separated from people we once took for granted. And I just think it's a really beautiful book and I think it would make a great winter read. So mm. love this. Love this time of year. Seasonal. Reading. Yeah. Seasonal. <laughs> I read it in July. So <laughs> I've had it on my list. So I'm definitely going to go need to read it. Yeah. It, it's also, you could definitely read it in like a day or two. It's not mm. a, it's not a long haul. I have to say, I'm probably never going to read this book. Yeah, no, it's not. I it's think you'd actually read it and dislike it. Yeah, <laughs> I, I already know it's not for me. I'm super excited about it. I'm super excited yeah. for her. Also, talk about, do you know that her husband is also like a super famous writer and they're like a writing power couple? Really? No. Her husband, I'm I'm going to, I don't know how his last name is, Hari Kondru. I still don't know how to say his name, but he wrote White Tears, which people know. Anyways. Yeah. It's like, you know, because Danzy Senna is married to Percival Everett. Did you guys know that? Right. Yeah. Which is I, overwhelming. I just found that out. That Another power couple. I just, yeah. I I live for it. Anyways. And the fact that he had two books out this year that were. Were like, they both out this year or was one out late last year? I thought, I don't know. I don't I know. I thought they were both out this year. I just was thinking that one was out last year because I just didn't think it was possible to do two in one year. But <laughs> I just was underestimating. Oh. Can I just plug his book, The Trees? It was really good. It's not one of my top three, but it was really good. It's worth a read, I think. And um, speaking of Lupita's theme of books and books, there's an important scene that takes place in a bookstore in this book. So, and she buys a book that kind of becomes a symbol throughout the rest of the of the book. So interesting. It's there. Mm -hmm. Okay, Lupita, book two. 
So I know I mentioned that crying on H Mart wasn't on my list because other memoirs um, mm-hmm. hit a little harder for me. Um, so the kissing bug, a true story of a family and insect in a nation's neglect of a deadly disease by Daisy Hernandez was like part memoir, part like scientific exploration of this disease that um, Daisy's aunt has, who as she's describing her relationship with her aunt, it just, it's, she's always in her life, almost kind of like a second mother. And so watching her kind of slowly die of this disease, even though it's completely preventable, if people are not preventable, but well, it is completely preventable, but it's also like treatable um, and manageable um, and people can live long lives. Um, Just watching her, talk about that was something that I just really connected to. Um, And again, just the way she focuses in on the Latinx population and the fact that, you know, a lot of it is just no access to healthcare um, or limited access to healthcare or fears of accessing healthcare that prevent people from having awareness of this disease that, that is very prevalent in Latin community, Latin American communities. So, um, that's I've, one of my books that definitely hit for me this year. I've never even heard of that book. Really? Yeah. And also when you put it on your list, for I thought it was, um, sorry, I didn't read it. Don't hate me. No, it's okay. But when I saw it on your list, <laughs> no. I thought it was like a romance, like a rom-com. The Kissing Bug. Oh, really? Doesn't it sound like exactly. that? Um, the cover yeah, is definitely not that. I've I've only heard of it through Lupita, but the, I'd say the cover is straight nonfiction. Okay. Well, it I'm going to go look up your review now. And I... I think that, you know, if you like you're into clinical trial stuff and like science, like this is very, it's got a science base to it that I really appreciate it because she goes on a journey to really learn more about this disease that's caused by this kissing bug. Mm. Um, And basically she faces this bug that, you know, it does terrible things to people and the body once it gets in in the body. Um, And she goes through all that. So I, if you're into like, that I would totally check it out. Of course I am. I'm immediately going to buy it. Don't worry. Okay. My next book, t- talking of science and Obama's list, is Empire of Pain by Patrick Radden Keefe. It is about the Sackler family, who's the family behind the drug OxyContin, which is the drug that is largely credited with the opioid epidemic, less so the drug than the practices of prescription that are were pushed by the family, who's a bunch of corrupt assholes. Um, but the book is incredible. Patrick Radenkeefe is like one of those people who could write about anything. And he's just like an incredible storyteller. He writes for The New Yorker. And I think that he is very interested in telling stories. And so he finds things to write about where he feels like there's a story versus finding a story. Like, I think he's like, oh, is there a story here? And this one, obviously, there is. It's so good. It reads, I think, for people who like fiction and are apprehensive to read nonfiction, this is a great book because it really does read like fiction. Like he sets up all the characters. He sets up the backstory. It's about a family. It's three brothers who started the drug company, Purdue Pharma. And it's about them. And like one of the brothers, I don't want to give anything away. It's all real. It's history, but I didn't know a lot of it. So I don't want to give it away to other people who probably don't know either. The one little caveat I will give for people who aren't into nonfiction 
is that the first section, which was my favorite, is the slowest section. And if you're reading it and you're like, what is Trace talking about? Because the book is like propulsive. But the first section is a little bit not as much. So if you're a little, you know, if you start it and you're like, "Eh, this is sort of slow, just keep going because it get like halfway through the first section and then it just doesn't stop. But it's just so interesting and smart. And like, it's not just about the family. It's about the way that the U.S. government has failed us in the FDA and the judicial system and all of these things that sort of like allow big companies to be big companies and to harm people. And there's no recourse. And even when there are opportunities for recourse, there's no impetus to do that. The government officials are like, you know what? I'd like a kickback, honestly. Like, I it's a me thing. So I just think the book is just so smart and interesting and he's a genius. So that's mine. Have you, neither of you have read it? I have not, but um, now I need to go. And it's audio. I've heard, he reads the audio and I've heard the audio is very good. I read it off the page. I cannot imagine listening to this book personally, but I, a lot of people have and have loved it. So that might just be a me thing. I just, I just was like so cuddled up. I read it in like, April when it first came out and I was like cuddled up under my blankets being like these fucking pieces of shit like fuck these people (laughs) just like I just have like very tight physical memories of like being really like angry and snuggled up with it so anyways also I read this book back to back with how the word is passed and then I was like oh Mm. there's no other books this year they're all horrible (laughs) nothing will ever come out again you sold me on um reads like fiction so I'm, it I'm totally reads like fiction. It totally reads like fiction. Um, okay, Morgan. Oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say they've renamed or they're renaming the Sackler Wings at the Met in response to the reporting that he did. So, yeah. Wow. And yesterday, a judge, there's like this whole bankruptcy thing that's going on with them. And a judge just basically was like, you guys can't do that, which is huge. So we'll see what happens. But anyways, it's it's still unfolding. He he tweeted the other day, like, I guess I'm going to have to do some work before the paperback comes out. Um, so we'll see. OK, Morgan, book three. OK, book three is one of these books that brought me a lot of joy this year. And it is While Justice Sleeps by Stacey Abrams. Mm. Um, yes. <laughs> so I don't know about y'all, but when I heard Stacey Abrams, I definitely expected um, nonfiction, and instead it is a political thriller. She also publishes other fiction under a pen name, but this one is under her own name. And I think of this one as Dan Brown, if all the people in the book were not white. Okay. Um, And so we have a young kick-ass heroine. Her name is Avery, and she's the clerk for a Supreme Court justice, one who is frequently a swing vote and a pretty important one. And he falls into a coma, and her life just kind of unravels as this, like, adventure unfolds. Um, And she finds out how much she's been woven into the web of things that surround him. Um, and I listened to this one on audio and I listened to it while I was moving, which when you move in New York City, people wish you good luck before you do so, which feels horrible and cynical, but it actually is that bad. Um, so it's like the darkest time of your life. And it was so good and it totally, totally got me through. And it's an adventure action novel in the way that I just didn't think I needed to read novels like that anymore. But I did, and I do, and I looked it up immediately afterwards, and Stacey has sold her next two books to Doubleday in this series, so there are two more coming, though with her thriving political career, I don't know how quickly they will come, but (laughs) 
I wish the best for her and her career and also me as a reader getting to read her political thrillers. Um, so yeah, I just highly recommend it. It's fast paced. It's long, but doesn't feel long. And I never wanted it to end. Oh my gosh. I started it and couldn't put it down. And the funny thing is, do you know when I started it? It was the book I started right after Empire of Pain, which I finished right <laughs> after How the Word is Fast, which is probably part of it. I was like deep nonfiction land. Yeah. Um, but I, okay, I'll go back like, to it. This is ridiculous. Yeah. I yeah, was like, exactly. I don't, I don't have the energy. I got to like two chapters in and I was like, I, I this is not happening. I mean, they're racing around DC for most of it. You feel exhausted after okay. <laughs> on behalf of the characters. Yeah. Okay. I have to go back so. because I really did want to read it, but I think timing, that's the thing. Timing and reading is all, everything for me. So significant. Yeah. yeah. I feel like I never would have picked this one up, but I just happened to, and I'm so glad I did. So. I'm so glad you did too. Lupita, what's yours? Yeah. So, um, Morgan, when you mentioned like something that brings you joy and that you couldn't put down, I did a switch up. Like <laughs> I, <laughs> I didn't include this book because I'm not done yet with it, but I'm like 70%, 80% almost done with it. So I'm just going to, I'm going to say F it. And I'm going to talk about Sky Falling by Mia McKenzie. Mm. Um, I don't know if you guys have read it, but it's basically about a queer woman who uh, she's single, she's living her life, she doesn't care about anything, she's a little bit messy. Um, she ends up donating her eggs to a friend who is having infertility issues, and it's a big secret. But um, that friend ends up having a child. Um, I don't think it's a spoiler alert to say she later passes away, but the child that she had from the egg tracks down mm. um, the main character who is Sky um, and is basically like, hey, I'm your egg. And it's this beautiful story about their relationship and like, you know, what motherhood means to her and like what being in a child's life that is like biologically yours. But, you know, it's just there's so much there. And it's I it brings me so much joy that I started it before I read I read it for the prize and then I had to put it down, but I keep coming back to it. And I just feel like I never I keep coming back to it because I never want it to end, mm. you know? Not because I want to be like, you know, like I don't like this book. I need to DNF it. I've been sticking with it just because I feel like I don't want it to end. I love the characters. I love the world building. And it's just so queer and magical and wonderful. Ugh. So. I love that. Oh my gosh. I, I've been wanting to read it. So you're really making me want to go pick it up like right now. Um, me too. It's such a good, it, you will be sucked in immediately. Like okay. that that book that we're going to talk about later that we all loved. It's like, okay. to me, this is like that. Okay, wait, but we're going to cheat. I want to know what the other book you were going to say was before you called the Audible. Oh, this is, an, okay, this is so. not part of the official top 10 people. This is a also ran. I was going to talk about With Teeth. Oh, okay. By Kristen Arnett, which is which is queer again, queer and magical. But that's like, well, it's queer and dark okay. and messy, which is it about two moms. Uh, it's a two mom family and you don't often get to see like messy moms at all, but also like queer messy moms. Yeah. I'm like, it, I just loved it, it, even though it's a little dark. OK, so okay. maybe not a seasonal read, but. <laughs> uh, like a warm holiday season already, but it's still great. <laughs> all right. My last book, or my, before we get to the one that we all agreed on, is 0% surprise to 100% of the people listening, A Little Devil in America by Hanif Abdurraqib, my favorite book of the year, I think. I think I can say confidently it's my A1. It is also our book club pick this month right now. So if you haven't read it yet, next week we're going to be talking about it on the show. 
I totally read it because of you. I hope so. I it was so. Good. It's the only book this year that I'm like this book. I want this book to be associated with me. I guess that and Empire of Pain is the other it one is. I've been pushing hard. <laughs> but I feel like I've been just out here screaming about this book because I think it is so incredible. When we talk about themes of the year, Lupita, you said like books, it books and books. One of the themes that I feel like I've seen so much this year, I see it in Clint's book. I saw a little bit in Empire Pain, but definitely in this book is like the pulling of a lot of different ideas together in like one cohesive way. And in this book, like Hanif is talking about uh, the subtitle is Notes and Praise of Black Performance. So it's all about black performance, but he's pulling history, memoir, mm-hmm. pop culture, um, emotions, uh, gender, stereotypes, all these things, of course, blackness all together in this really complicated way. And I feel like we've seen that a lot. When you were talking about intimacies, I was thinking, oh, that sounds sort of like that too. Like a lot of different ideas that are sort of hard to distill down. I mean, what I love about this book, aside from just the fact that Hanif has incredible prose, and I won't go on too long because we have a whole episode on this next week, but I just love the way that he is pulling, like each essay starts and it's like, we're going to talk about this thing. And by the time you get to the end of the essay, you're really talking about something totally different. Like one essay starts with the moonwalk and then it somehow gets to Trayvon Martin and then it gets to an astronaut who died and and then it gets to Hanif's mother and then it gets to me crying and then it gets to LaBelle and <laughs> and Afrofuturism and it's like these incredible essays were and that's all just one essay you know and so it's this incredible scope and in his knowledge and also just the way he writes about music like a thing that we understand in a totally different way he's able to verbalize or like to I guess it's not verbalize but to write it out and then you're hearing a song anew for the first time or you're watching a video that he talks about in the book that you've seen a thousand times and you're like oh my god Whitney Houston can't dance holy shit like mind blown so I just and it also brought me so much no idea you didn't know I knew she had no idea until I read until I read it and I was like oh my god she can't she can't she doesn't I did know she couldn't dance because I'm a dancer and so Okay. You know, these things, these things, you know, but I literally was like, when, he, when I read that, I read the book twice. When I read that essay for the first time, I was like, fucking finally top. Someone's talking about this. Okay. She can't dance. She's like Jessica Simpson, you know, Jessica Simpson, like famously can't dance. Yeah. But when she was first on the scene, you didn't know that because they had her like bumbling around, like pretending. Anyways, I just love this book so much. I think it's so special. I think it's unlike anything else I've ever read. I think that he is so special. I think that his brain is so special. Like, I just, he's one of the people that I think I'm so lucky that I get to be alive while this person is creating work. Mm. And I don't always feel that way. You know, like, I don't, I think some people are really talented, but I'm not so curious about like their career and their future and his next book Mm -hmm. is about basketball and I'm really excited because I love sports but yeah just a super fan of Hanif Abdurraqib over here and he was on the podcast and I love talking to him too actually all three of my people were on the podcast this year which has not happened in the past normally I don't always love the books on the show but this year I had some really good really really good guests and really good books um okay we're going to talk about our 10th and final book that we all sort of had on our we all sent or they sent me lists I asked them to send the list and they both were like also this book but I feel like someone else might have it on their list and we all sort of had it so I was like let's just all talk about it um the book is I will say the book title and then you guys can start the book is Detransition Baby by Tori Peters Lupita why don't you start talking about it and why you love it 
Uh, I read it really early. Like I read it right when it came out, which was in the beginning of the year. Um, and it, it still just stuck with me. Um, it was just to me, it was so perfect in the sense that, you know, I it just felt so natural, you know, and, and I felt like this is the type of queer work I wish that we had more of and that we could elevate more of in the sense that it it didn't feel like it was teaching you anything. Like it just puts you into a world and hold on, you're going to go on a ride and, you know, you're not thinking about like, what is queerness mm-hmm. and what is transness and what is non-binary? You're just in the setting with like these characters. And I just, I was in love yeah. I am in love with Tori Peters. I think it might be a crush. Tori Peters also there. rides motorcycles and is like really badass. Uh, I and know. has like a pink I'm motorcycle like, or something. And it I know it's overwhelmingly is. hot. I'm with you. It's a lot. Um, but here's a the lot. thing that I found really interesting. I did not feel like this book was like, I'm going to teach you something. And yet mm-hmm. I felt like I learned a lot. Yes. And not like, oh, I learned about trans people. But I learned a lot yeah. about myself and how I think of motherhood. And, like, I learned a lot about myself, about the ways that, like, I have clear thoughts on motherhood and a lot of the ways that Mm. I have, like, weird thoughts that I haven't thought about that are probably, like, very patriarchal. And, like, it Mm. made me question myself in interesting ways. And I did, like, I did, like, learn some things about, like, detransitioning. But, like, that was the least interesting stuff that I felt like it made me think about, which I really appreciated. Because I think so often, like, editors and people who aren't of whatever community the author is, and whether it's trans or black or Korean or whatever, they get in the way. And, like, you have to explain this. And I feel like Tori Peters yeah. was like, I'm not, ex- I'm not explaining. <laughs> Thanks so much. And I appreciated that. Yeah. I felt like this one reminded me in some ways of a play. I feel like in theater, it's like what would be a three-hander. And I felt like what was so unique about it was that I wanted to read each of their perspectives equally Mm -hmm. when they kept coming back to us. Like I cared as much about what was going on with Ames as I did about where we were following Reese to next. And then the other thing I think is so unique about this one is it's written so beautifully within the different New York City neighborhoods that kind of delineate different things about the story and about the characters and about their levels of status Yeah, um, that I, I just thought it was so fun. Like you're, you are moving through Brooklyn and Manhattan in a way that represents the way the characters are also moving through those spaces. And it just felt so accurate and right. It reminded me of Yoke and the way that Mary H.K. Choi writes New York mm-hmm. City and how apt it was for the story that she was telling too. That's another honorable mention this year for me, for sure. Yes, definitely. <laughs> Which I read because of Tracy. So. Oh, that's a book um, I don't mind being associated with at all. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I've never read anything like this story before, but I have to agree. It's just about the story. I feel like it, it becomes so much about the story just because it takes place over such a short period mm-hmm. of time. That I love when books can do that, when they can bring everything in really tight and small like that, like a few yeah. months. I also thought this book was funny. It was so funny. It yes. was so funny. So it was funny. so funny. Yeah. It was so fun. And the writing is so good. Like the sentence, like yeah. on a sentence level, this book really surprised me. We didn't even say what it was about. And I don't know that I can really explain it, but I'm, I'll try. Loosely. Basically, Reese and Ames used to be a couple. Ames was Amy at the time that they were together. Amy detransitioned to Ames and started dating a woman from his work. And that woman got pregnant. And it's the relationship between those three people and this unborn 
potential baby and who gets to be whose parent and what that parent potentially is called. It's way more than you that, but it. it's really yeah, that hard. Was no, you nailed it. I was like, go Tracy. <laughs> so yeah, it's great. It's fantastic. Those are our 10 books. I really like this list. It's a you lot of women on this list, I'm, which I'm happy about yeah. since I didn't pick any books by women like a real asshole. But <laughs> I'm proud of the list. I feel like the list encompasses a lot of different trends in reading this year. And that makes me happy. And I like that there's so many joyful books this year. Okay, before we get out of here, I want to talk a little bit about anything people are in, anything people, you two, are anticipating in 2022. Any predictions, any trends you're seeing that you think might carry into 2022, any things you hope might not carry into 2022? I can start because I have something that I fear is going to be in 2022. I fear that towards the end, middle end of 2022, we're going to start getting a lot of COVID books, like novels that have COVID coming. It's going to start at the top of the oh, year. Oh, it is. Fuck It's me. not even going to be the end of the year. I can think of two other uh, big books oh. coming out in January. Yeah. It's so hard. I don't know if you guys have seen like the morning show and like, you know, series are now starting to tackle that. And it's just, it's like, we're not even done processing it yet. It's still happening. Trying to process it in a show. <laughs> yeah. It's still yeah. happening. It's just, it's tough to read. Yeah. I don't need yeah, it. Like, not. I'm so it's grateful Succession was like, we're not going to try. Like, well, Insecure has the one like 15 second montage of like working from home and then they're like, okay, it's over. Yeah. Yeah. Grey's Anatomy last year, last season did a whole COVID season, which sort of made sense because they are a medical show and they were filming during COVID. And so they had all the protective Mm -hmm. gear. So it worked. But this season they were like, we've decided we're going to imagine a world after COVID. And we're just going to imagine this for our characters because we deserve nice things, which I appreciated. So I'm, I just, I don't want to read, I don't mind reading COVID nonfiction. I don't want to read COVID novels or short stories. Like I'm just not interested. I don't care, but watch. I'll tell you some to avoid. Yeah. I feel like next year we're going to get to this episode, like best books of the year. And I'm going to be like, all three of my books are COVID novels. They're so great. So that's the one that I prediction that I see coming that I'm not excited about. I also fear another thing I'm not excited about that I think is also coming is more books by two authors of different ethnicities talking about race. We don't need it. It's a no for me. Mm -hmm. That'll never be on my TBR. That doesn't interest me in the slightest. Me neither. Anything you guys are excited about or think that is coming? I'm excited about more queer books okay. always. always. And I'm hopeful that, uh, you know, thinking about The Prophets by Robert um, Jones Jr. and then, you know, Tree Transition Baby with Teeth. Like, I'm just thinking, like, hopefully there are more queer writers out there that are getting the ability to make these deals and have these books published because I think the need is there and, like, the want is there. And I want more queer books. Have That's you heard of a book called Yonder by Jabari Asim? Yonder. I think that it, it's been described as the prophets meets the water dancer and oh. it's coming out in January or February and I'm excited about it. Disha Filia is the one who told me to keep an eye out for it. And I think it's going to be a queer, I think it's less specific. I don't, I don't know, but I think there's some queer elements in there also connected to slavery. So I'm sort of excited about that. Um, and I think yeah. that we're going to see more of that too, right? Where so. there are like queer characters and like queer like themes and in, in books that, and they're not necessarily labeled queer. Right. And so I, on that, what I don't want to see is like 
I want to see a limited amount of like cisgendered women writing about mm. like queer communities that don't identify as queer. And I know that's tough because it gets really dicey, you know, and people are not usually out. But um, it's just you can tell when when, you know, the queer community is being stereotyped. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, there is a 2022 book that I read that I, I was really excited about, but it just felt like. It just felt like a stereotype of a, of the queer community, and oh, that sucks. Yeah, I know. I also am excited, sort of in that same vein of like more queer characters from history and queer characters in the future. Mm. I just always I'm like, it doesn't have to be contemporary. Like mm -hmm. queer folks exist, existed, will continue to exist. Get over it. Um, okay, let's talk about just a few 2022 titles specifically that you all are looking forward to. Anything popping out in your mind? Lupita just made a face of like, eee. I know you have. Yeah, Don't make me go first. Okay, Morgan goes first. Um, She's a professional. Yes, I can. <laughs> I can definitely go first. Well, okay, so two. This is cheating, but two. I've been reading 2020 titles for work, um, pretty much exclusively for the last few months. And two, I'm really excited about one is What My Bones Know yes. by Stephanie Fu, which I know Tracy's excited about. Also, I know it's a memoir that comes out in February and it's Stephanie's debut written work, but she comes from the podcasting and PR world. And it's about her diagnosis of complex PTSD, which she received at age 30, I believe, um, and her tracing back of the trauma in her life and then moving moving forward knowing that diagnosis. And it's beautiful. And I think that the listenership of the stacks will love it. Um, and then I, the effect that TikTok has had on the rom-com and romance space in publishing has been absolutely wild, but it's really introduced me to this whole new genre of books that I didn't know I loved this much. And one coming out in April that I really, really adore is called Funny You Should Ask by Elisa Sussman. Um, and it's set in LA and it explores Jewishness and celebrity and just really beautiful themes. Um, and it's like got two timelines um, and it has a second chance romance trope to it. Uh, and then one that I haven't read yet that I'm really excited to read that I have on my neck galley is Woman of Light by Kali Fajardo Anstine. Oh. Okay, Lupita's waving me either on or off. I don't know. But, no, I love oh, it. Yes. Yes. Um, yeah. And so she's the author of Sabrina and Karina. And mm -hmm. I – just the blurbs coming in for this one have been insane and the cover's beautiful and I feel like it's going to be a top book of 2022. So calling it now. I love it. I love it. Every year this list of like most anticipated books ends up being like I had Hanif's book on here, 400 Souls, Robert Jones, like all the books that end up being the books that I'm the most excited about in the year are always on in this section. So people take notes. We're giving you gold. Okay, Lupita, do you have any? Um, yes. So Neruda in the Park. I haven't read it yet, but it's definitely high on my list. Um, it's the Random House. Um, what else? There's so many. I know I'm there's sorry. so many. I'm like, I'm like so unprepared. Don't for worry. This part. <laughs> Don't worry. I didn't really prepare you for this. I sort of forgot. I'm sorry. I'll, okay. I can go if you want to keep looking and hear of things that pop yeah, up. Yeah. And I was just going to add Women in the Light, of course. Definitely. I feel like I have my arc stack back there of like my top to reads. Yeah. Yeah. So you go ahead and I'll run back okay. and look for a second. Okay. Um, South to America by Imani Perry. Obviously mm -hmm. super excited about that. Um, 
PSA Lehman has a new book coming. I think it's called Good God, but I always call it Good Grief by accident. So I I think it's Good God. I think Good God is the right title, but I think Good Grief is also a great title. So PSA, feel free to use it. What my bones know you said. There's a book coming out about Sandy Hook called Sandy Hook by Elizabeth Williamson, which is right in my wheelhouse of horrible, mm-hmm. tragic events that I have to read every detail of. Mm-hmm. Um there's a book by an author named Tana East, I believe, and it's called Insensorium that I'm really excited about. And then The Movement Made Us by David J. Dennis Sr. and David J. Dennis Jr. The father was a civil rights activist. The son is a civil rights activist today. They wrote this book together. It's a memoir and oral history, I guess. And then my good friend, Brandon Kyle Goodman, is writing a book that's coming out next year. So I'm super excited about that. And then the last one that I'm like weirdly excited about that I feel like I discovered and I know that I didn't, but I haven't heard anybody talking about it is called Night Crawling by Layla Motley. And it's a fictionalized story about the Oakland police officers who were raping women, young women in like 2015 and 17. And I'm from Oakland, so I been familiar with the story and I believe Layla lives in Oakland now or is from Oakland and it's this fictionalized novel about these events so I think it comes out in May and I'm like really I've been I've been aggressively being like has anybody read this what does anybody know about this so I'm super excited allegedly a copy's in the mail headed to me now if it gets here before Christmas I probably will be reading it very soon so those are the the covers Isn't the color? It's like orange with like the braids. It's perfect. It's great. It looks fantastic. I'm super excited. This is the book that, if it's any good, is my like book to beat. I just am so excited about it. But if it sucks, it sucks. Who knows? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, Lupita, you brought, I saw you brought back a stack of books. What do you have? I did. Uh, so Yerba Buena by mm. Nina LaCour. Uh, I'm I'm being told it's like a queer story. Okay. And so I'm like really excited about that one. And then I have seen uh, a lot of friends have told me actually how high we oh, go. I just or how high we that. go in the dark. Yes. Um, Nana, I, you know, Nana, yeah. she recommended it. And so did Angela from uh, Duende District, bookshop owner. She's like, text me. She's like, you have to read this book. Like, it's it's like it. Station Eleven meets Ted Chiang. That's how it's being pitched. I have pitched. no idea, but they were like, read it. Yeah, you're right. The fans of Cloud Atlant- Atlantis and Station Eleven. Wow. Yeah. I'm excited about so, it. So those I'm excited for. And then, of course, the new Marlon James. I, oh, yes. I enjoyed his first one. It was a little hard to get through, but like I love the world building that he does. And these characters that are like super like extraordinary extraordinarily queer too um so moon witch spider king i'm excited about that one too have you so i heard about this book that while it's the second one in the series it's mm-hmm. not actually a series that's like chronological so if you didn't read the first one oh. you can read the second one it's basically a retelling mm-hmm. of the first one or something so it's a wow. series but it's like a totally different version of the first book is how it was sort of explained to me so I, I'm really cool. curious for anybody who hasn't read the first one, who reads the second one to hear, like, I want to know people who read them out of order, but I guess it's like not, you don't need to know the first one at all. You can go straight to the second one. So I'm very curious about that. Just a challenge to readers at home. <laughs> I'm excited about it. Yeah. The gauntlet just got thrown down. <laughs> I know. I know. I know. I'm Ready super to go. Um, all right. I think that's everything. Is there any other thing that we just absolutely have to mention before we let this year go goodbye? I think we did it. 
I think we nailed it. Just give me, give me an opportunity. I do want to say this. 22 is my lucky number. So I am predicting we're going to have a good fucking year. We're going to have a good year. We're going to have good We're going to have a great year. We need a good yeah. year. We need a good year. Yeah. We've had some yeah, not it's who, great year. time. Who knew 2019 was going to be the last like fine year? And like it wasn't a great year, but compared to 2020 and 2021, 2019 feels like the best year ever. So yeah. we just we need some good stuff in 2022. So I'm hoping we have great books, great food, great hangs. Hopefully Joe Biden gets his shit together. We have great student loan forgiveness. Hopefully we get some great universal pre-K. Hopefully we get some great unionizing. Shout out to politics and pros. I just, you know, we need a good year. So with that, wish for the future. Thank you both so much for doing this. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having us. Thank you for having us. Of course. And everyone else, we will see you in the stacks. Thank you all so much for listening. And thank you to Morgan and Lupita for being my guests. Remember, the Stacks Book Club pick for December is A Little Devil in America by Hanif Abdurraqib. We will be discussing the book on the show on Wednesday, December 29th with Andrew T. If you love the show and want inside access to it, head to patreon.com slash the stacks to join the Stacks Pack. Make sure you're subscribed to the Stacks wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you're listening through Apple Podcasts, be sure to leave us a rating and a review. For more from the Stacks, follow us on social media at the Stacks Pod on Instagram and at the Stacks Pod underscore on Twitter. And check out our website, thestackspodcast.com. Our editor is Christian Duenas. Our graphic designer is Robin McCright. And our theme music is from Takirajis. The Stacks is created and produced by me, Tracy Thomas. <laughs>